0: Last week we began looking at a verse that we said is more than a theme for us this year. It's going to be kind of the outline for the year. We believe it's the word of the Lord to us as a church and it's found in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. We're going to be hitting that over and over again uh, until you have this memorized. You may already have it memorized, but we're going to keep going over and over it until you get it. Uh, and here's the context of Acts 2.42. In Acts 1, Jesus has been risen from the dead. He appears to his disciples over the period of about 40 days, and he's giving them, the text says, many convincing proofs that he was alive. And the reason he had to do that was because most of the time, people who die stay dead. But not Jesus. Jesus. So he rose from the dead, and he had to give them many convincing proofs that he was alive for 40 days. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. He gave them a mission, but he said, don't go do the mission yet. Go to Jerusalem and wait until you get the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. And then he said, you'll receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they did that, and in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God came. It was like a rushing mighty wind. There were what appeared to be tongues of fire that landed on them. They were filled, the text says, with the Holy Spirit that began speaking in tongues. Everybody heard the mighty deeds of God in their own language. They thought they were drunk. Peter gets up and says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, this, what we're experiencing now, is that which was talked about in the prophet Joel, That. His spirit will be poured out in the last days. And then he preaches the gospel to them and says, Jesus is Lord. It was the whole point. And he was the whole presence of the spirit was proof that Jesus had ascended into heaven and he was Lord now. And they're cut to their heart and they go, what do we do? And he says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children. And by the way, day one of the church, it wasn't just about the adults. These are for you and for your children. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And 3,000 people got saved that day. 3,000. And then Luke says, as he looks at that, this little band of Christ followers, these 3,000 new spiritual babies in the Lord, when he describes them, here's what he says. They devoted themselves. This is Acts 2.42. This is our verse for the year. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And this is our outline for the year. They devoted themselves to four priorities, and these are going to be our priorities. They devoted themselves. Today, we're going to look at prayer. Now, what does it mean to be devoted? We said last week, to be devoted means to be strong toward, to persist, to associate closely or serve personally. So to be devoted to something means more than you talk about it. It involves you giving yourself to it, paying careful attention to it. It is of utmost importance to you. So here they were, the disciples, and we're going to look at all four throughout this year, but we're going to look first of all at prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer, which, whatever else that might include, means devoting yourself to prayer means you actually pray. This is very deep and profound this morning. Please try to keep up okay? It, it, it's more than just talking about prayer. And, and, and sadly, in the American church especially, we talk about prayer a lot. We just don't do it much. In fact, prayer is one of the most talked about but least used resources of the Christian faith. And I understand why. It's because we're so busy. Everyone's so busy. And, 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 and I'm busy and you're busy. And, we're all bu- and part of the thing we're busy is about is we're trying to be busier than the other person. Oh, you think you're busy. I have six kids. You only have two kids. i busier than you and, and, and here's the deal we actually are busy we are busy I am too I get it but all the more reason we need to devote ourselves to prayer Amen. Martin Luther the great reformer uh, said on one occasion I have so much to do today i must spend the first three hours in prayer or the devil will get the victory now doesn't that sound kind of foreign to us I mean most of the time I would say something like I have so much to do today I don't have time for prayer But Luther understood that prayer was his connection to the source of power he needed to do what he needed to do. And maybe if we learned prayer as a lifestyle and not just a preposition, we might discover that we have more time to pray than we thought we did. In one of my all-time favorite quotes related to prayer, John Piper said, One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. God, I don't have time to pray. Really? Because you're on Facebook for two hours last night. We don't have time. See, listen, the, the early church in Acts, they didn't talk about prayer really. Not much. I mean, not, in the book, if you just read the book of Acts, there's no treatise on prayer. There's no philosophy of prayer. They just prayed. They knew that communing with the Father by means of his spirit and prayer was their connection to his power in their lives. So they prayed. And throughout history, the saints of old have known this. Samuel Chadwick, a, a, a voice from another generation said this, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from our prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. He trembles when we pray. Why? Because he knows better than we do, I think, that prayer is our connection to the power of God. John Wesley, I think, was only slightly exaggerating when he said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. What's he saying? Prayer changes things. Ian Bounds, who knew something about prayer, uh, said in his book on prayer, The Purpose in Prayer, he wrote the following... When we calmly reflect, which it's what we're doing right now is we are calmly reflecting. When we calmly reflect upon the fact that the progress of the Lord's kingdom is dependent on prayer, it is sad to think we give so little time to the holy exercise. Everything depends on prayer. And yet we neglect it. Not only to our own spiritual hurt, but also to the delay and injury of our Lord's cause upon the earth. The forces of good and evil are contending for the world. If we would pray, we could add to the conquering power of the army of righteousness. And yet our lips are sealed, our hands hang listlessly by our side, and by holding back from the prayer chamber, we jeopardize the very cause in which we profess to be so deeply interested. Amen. Right. Wow. wow. Okay. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. You know, I was thinking about this. There's not a whole lot of requirements to be alive. (laughs) Breathing is one of them. You kind of have to do that if you want to be alive. It's kind of the same thing about being a Christian and prayer. Watchman Nee, a great Chinese pastor of the 20th century who endured great persecution for the crime of loving Jesus. He said this, and I quote, our prayers laid the track down upon which God's power can come. Like a mighty locomotive, his power is irresistible, but it cannot reach us without rails. Prayer of the rails. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to lay down some track. I I am going to talk about prayer for a few moments by examining one prayer out of the book of Acts. It's the longest prayer in the book of Acts, but we're going to do more than that. I'm going to do more than expound the the scripture on this prayer. We're actually going to spend some time praying. How about that? So, if you have your Bible, slip to uh, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And this is the prayer we're going to look at. And the context for this prayer is a threat. There's a threat against the people of God. In Acts 3, after the day of Pentecost, Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple. They come to the gate, beautiful, and there's a dude there. He's been crippled since birth, the text says. And at the end of the chapter, we discover he was in his 40s. So, he's been crippled for 40-something years. He looks to Peter. Excuse me. Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Remember that song? I don't know if you know this, but that's right out of the Bible. I don't think Peter sung it, but he said it. The guy doesn't get up quick enough. He reaches down. He picks the guy up. As he gets up, he's healed. He went running and leaping in praise and praising God. That's how the song goes. But that's what the text says. He was pretty excited, and you might be excited too. If you hadn't walked for 40-something years and then you could walk, you might go running and leaping and praising God, too, even in the middle of church. Right? So that happens, and it causes quite a stir, quite a commotion. So the, the chief of the temple guard comes up, uh, uh, the, the Sadducees, and they come against the, Peter and John. They say, Who, how are you doing this? They said, it's in the name of Jesus. They said, you can't preach Jesus anymore. Peter said, Listen, you, you decide what's right, and you know, if you're going to obey you or God, but I'm, I can't help speaking about Jesus. And then they went to a prayer meeting. They responded to the threat by heading to a prayer meeting. See, they didn't run to a, a, a political rally, a protest line, a social media post. Their first inclination after being threatened is to go pray. And I'm going to read through the text, and I want you to look for some things about how they prayed to see if it might be a model for us. I said earlier, this is the longest prayer in the book of Acts. And I think Paul, excuse me, Luke is, is deliberately trying to teach us something about prayer and its connection to the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is very important for us this year, so please pay attention, because the events described in Acts are not just there to be a history book. Yes, it does describe what happened 2,000 years ago, but it's not just for us to know what happened back then. It's to teach us today, to provoke us today, so we walk in this kind of power today. Because, and I cannot stress this enough, we do not serve a God who's the great I used to could. He is the great I am. And so there's a reason for this. So let's look at the text, Acts 4. Verse 21 says, after further threat. So they not only threatened them, they further threatened them. They let them go. Verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Now, notice this is a corporate prayer. It's not one person prayed and everybody else listened. They raised their voices together. This was a corporate prayer to God. And here's what they prayed Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, I'm going to unpack this as a model by asking three questions of the text very quickly, and then we're going to, I'm not just going to ask these questions. We're going to learn something, then we're going to do it, okay? So here are the three questions. Who, how, and what? When they're praying, who are they talking to? How are they talking to them? And what do they ask for? Who, how, what? And then we're going to do it. So first of all, who? I find it very instructive if you just look at the scripture and read the text It's instructive to us that before they ask for anything, they praise God for who he is. They reminded themselves who they were talking to. See, I think sometimes we forget who we're talking to. A few years ago, I had a gentleman on staff. He's no longer with us, so I'm not going to say his name because a lot of y'all still know him but he had there was an event going on in a church and there was some conflict between him and a, and a, and a family in the church and uh, and he was trying to look for my help to kind of coach him through how I wanted him to handle that and he called me one day something had gone down he called me one day and, and I couldn't get to the phone and so he left me a voicemail and in the voice later I'm listening to the voicemail and as I listen to the voicemail he's driving and he's got it on like you know hands-free device whatever and he's talking and he's very emotional and he's going pastor Tim I don't know what to do about this and pastor Tim maybe we should do this maybe I should say this. Maybe we could just put, make a new rule, and you know, he's, he's kind of doing it like that. And and I don't—he got cut off in traffic or something, and he forgot that he was talking to me on my voicemail. Right. And he was so emotional; he just had to let. It, he started praying, and then he, he went from Pastor Tim, and, then, and then the very next thing was, "And Father God, I pray that you would, you know, you, know, you would heal this person." And Father God, I did. Father God, and Father God, and I'm thinking, "Who are you talking to? It's on my voicemail." And, and, and when he came into the office, I said, dude, you got to listen to your voicemail. Because he gets to the end of the voicemail and he realizes he's still talking to me. But he's been praying for like two minutes. And he must have said, Father God, 12 times in two minutes. And, and, and he goes, oh, I'm not talking to Father uh, See you later, Pastor Tim. And so we listened to it together and we got a real belly laugh out of it. But here's the deal. I think some people do that to God. I mean, if God had a voicemail... I think some of, some of our prayers would be half talking to him and half talking to whoever's around us. I mean, I, this happens all the time. I, I, listen, I love pastors. I do. I think most pastors are, you know, highly intelligent and ruggedly handsome and a lot of fun to have at a party. <laughs> most <laughs> pastors that way... But some pastors' prayer meeting drive me crazy. I was just at one not long ago. And I believe in prayer. And I get, we have a group that meets together and prays for our city every month together. And, and, and we're at a prayer meeting not too long ago. And this, and this pastor goes into his prayer. And in his prayer, he parses a Greek verb while he's praying. And he says, and Lord, that, that the Greek word there is, and it's first person, present tense, active voice, indicative mood. Which, as if God doesn't already know that, like as if God was going to go, oh, that's a great insight. I should go read First Peter again. I, like, and I'm thinking to myself, who are you talking to? He wasn't talking. He was talking to us. Listen, when you pray, remember who you're talking to. And, and that's what these disciples did. And and look how they address him as God. They they're not just praying to any old God. This isn't Zeus. This isn't Aphrodite. All right? This is the God of, and look what the text says. You are the God of creation. You made, verse 24. And what does that speak to? It speaks to his power. You made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. You made it. All right. Man, when you're praying, remember who you're talking. You're talking to the guy who said, let there be, and there was a son. Right. What was it? 2017, would, by my scientists in the congregation will remember this. I think it was 2017 was the last solar eclipse. Is that right? So anyway, I remember going outside when the solar, and I was thinking it was going to be like pitch black out there because where we were in Louisville, I believe the number was 4% of the sun was uncovered. Only 4% wasn't blocked out, you know. And it was still bright out. Do you remember that? 4% and it still lit up our world. And we're talking to the guy who said, "Let there be," and there it was. And we only need four percent. And by the way, I'm told by people who study such things that our sun is just a modest star. There's there's one a, a red giant. I was reading about this week uh, that is 700 times bigger than our sun. Just feel free to gasp. It's 700 times bigger than our sun and 14,000 times brighter. We had a solar eclipse, 4% of the sun, you can still see everything. And that sun is 700 times smaller than that other red giant. And when we pray, we're talking to the God who made that with his words. That's who you're talking to. It's Power. You might want to show some respect. So that's what they're doing when they pray. They say, Lord, you made, Whether they're saying, you have the power to change it. You are the God of not only creation, you're the God of revelation. Verse 25, you spoke. What does that speak to? It speaks to his desire. He wants to be known, so he reveals himself to us. Listen, God is so majestic, so transcendent, so powerful. If he didn't reveal himself to us, we couldn't figure him out. Okay, it's like an ant trying to figure out the internet. You don't have the intellectual capacity to figure out God. If he didn't reveal himself to Him you, to us, you couldn't know Him. So you are the God of creation. That's power. You're the God of revelation. That's desire. You want us to know you. And you're the God of history. You decided. Verse 28. You decided, which speaks to what? His action, his in intimate involvement in our world and in our life. Verse 28, he says, your hand was involved. Your hand, they just did what you had decided. Your hand had decided already should happen. The ESV says, predestined to have happened. You just what does that mean? That means on the day of the, God's hand was involved in the cross, meaning that on the worst day of their life, God was still in charge. Right. And that gave them the courage to pray in verse 30. Now stretch out your hand. Your hand was involved on our worst day. Stretch out your hand to heal to do miraculous signs and wonders. See, they reminded themselves who they were talking to. And when we do this, it reminds us how big our God is and by comparison, how really small the problem is. You, you've probably heard the old cliche, don't tell God how big your problem is, tell your problem how big your God is. You've probably heard that. There's a reason that's a cliche, because it's true. And you guys, at some point, we got to ask ourselves if we really believe what we say we believe. Right. Who are we talking to? I mean, the early disciples believed they were talking to a sovereign God, God of creation, God of revelation, God of history. And that gave them extraordinary confidence and boldness in prayer. Do you think that the same might be true today? Is it possible? Is it possible that a lack of prayer comes from anemic view of God? And maybe if we had a more robust, transcendent, majestic view of God, it might fuel a different kind of prayer life. Well, that's the, the who. Now the how. Here's the how. How did they pray? Well, they praised God for who he was. They reminded themselves who they're talking to. And then watch this. They prayed the scripture, not the problem. Now, I can't tell you how often I hear people, and listen, listen, I, do, I have done this too. I have done this too on many occasions. Uh, but I've heard many people go on and on and on in prayer about their problem. And, 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 and some people talk about the problem so much, I'm not surprised they're depressed. In fact, I get depressed listening to them pray. Because it's all the problem, the problem, the problem. But here's what the early church did. They prayed the scripture. They quoted Psalm 2. They interpret their experience through the Scripture. The Scriptures were the lens through which they viewed what was happening to them, and they prayed that. You you may have heard us on occasion when when somebody says, hey, I don't really have words to pray. I don't know what to pray. You know, sometimes the answer we'll give is, here's what you do. Open the Psalms. It's right in the middle of the Bible. Just open the Bible and, and read the Psalms until you hear your voice. And then pray that. I mean that's why that's why we have the psalter. That's one of the reasons we have it. It's the it's a prayer book. It's a psalm book for the people of God. And 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 somewhere wherever you are, you'll find your voice in there. You read long enough, and you pray that. Now look, we didn't pray. that. Isn't our idea? That's what they did right here. They opened the Psalms, Psalm two, and they prayed that. If you don't know what to pray, pray the Psalms. Pray in the Spirit. And then ask yourself, what does God's word say about whatever it is you're going through? And then take those promises and pray that. Now, please, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me, okay? Absolutely tell God how you feel. I'm not saying you can't tell God how you feel. I want you to tell God how you feel. Come to God as you are, not how you wish you were. Be real with him. Tell the truth. Jesus said those who are going to worship are going to worship in spirit and truth so tell the truth it doesn't help to pretend uh, it doesn't help to project something that is false God doesn't heal the fake you he only saves the real you and heals the real you so be real tell the truth start there but don't end there don't end there pray what God says not what you feel or what the world thinks let me ask you a question and just show, just show by, or just raise your hand. How many of you think it's possible? Now you're not, you're not admitting any guilt or liability. All right. You're not admitting anything. I will neither confirm nor deny. You're just saying it's possible. It's possible that given your past and the hurts you've experienced in your past, it's possible that your feelings might not be accurate. Raise your hand if you think it's possible. You're just saying it's possible. Okay. Most of us. Okay. Then. Okay, then, if it's possible your feelings could be screwed up, how about we pray the thing we know is not false, which is God's word. It's the one thing you know is true. Your, your feelings might have been all screwed up, and they might be deceiving you. you your, your own heart can deceive you. So you, it might be, you might be saying something's not even true. So what do you do? Pray this. You know the scriptures are true. Pray that. And by the way, what the world says is almost always wrong. So pray the scriptures, pray according to his will. Here's what John said, 1 John 5, verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. We we can go confidently and approach God in prayer that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. How are you going to know what his will is? I mean, it's not, you, you don't get to just make it up. Right? Like, you don't. Know, it, it, it's not like, you know, I've probably seen that comedian, you know, he has a thing, there's a picture and he says, this is the car I have. And it's a Toyota Corolla. And then he says, and this is the car God wants me to have. And, and it's a Bugatti Varone. And the whole idea is God wants me to have a Bugatti Verone. You, you don't get to just decide that. <laughs> right? And, and, and so you, you pray. And, and by the way, just, <laughs> this probably goes without saying, but let me say it. You don't just take the scripture out of context. You know, I was. Uh, I'm on uh, the email list for Craig Keener, and every once in a while, he's a real scholar. But he writes these. He draws these comics. And this week, he drew a comic, uh, and in and, and the comic, it was a guy quoting Amos 4:6, and he said, "He said, I'm not brushing my teeth anymore because I'm claiming the promise of Amos 4:6, which reads, I will give you cleanness of teeth.' <laughs> so I'm not going to brush my teeth anymore. Take that by faith. Now." Just so you know, in Hebrew, when he says cleanness of teeth, it means he took their food away. Because the rest of the verse says, so you would seek me, but you still didn't seek me. I will give you cleanness of teeth. It it doesn't mean you ain't got to go to the dentist. Everybody with me? I think you know this. So you take the promise in the context and you pray that. Because how are you going to know what God's will is? By his word. So so first, they exalted God for who he is. They reminded themselves of who they're talking to. They prayed the scripture, not the problem. And when they get to addressing the problem, the only thing they say about it, verse 29, Lord, consider the threats. That's it. Consider the threats. That's all the time they give to the threats. They don't quote, verbat- they don't say, and then, and then the one side you see said this, and then the one dude said this, and then she said, and I said, and then we, we went back and forth, Lord, and I was defending your glory, and then this, and this happened, and the weather was kind of chilly, and, 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 and I wish we would get that fixed at church. And, and, and like, They didn't, none of that. They didn't dwell on the problem. They didn't dwell on the threat. You know, sometimes I feel like Sometimes we give the devil more airtime in our prayers than we give God. Who right. do right. yeah. <laughs> we respect more? It's, it just blows my mind. Sometimes their whole thing was consider the threats. Three words in English. In Greek, it's four. Look upon the threats. In, in Greek, it, it's like Lord, look. And the implication is, if God's looking at it, He's going to take care of it. Right. Right. See, I fear sometimes you guys right. and and. Just uh, please, just give me a little attitude here, just for a second. No one get offended until the end. Um, <laughs> I fear that sometimes we focus on our problems so much that we begin to believe that we're only doing good if it's going good. Now, if you want to live your life that way, you're allowed to. You can, but I'm gonna tell you what happens. If you live your life that you're only doing good, if it's going good, you're going to be a victim of circumstances. And pretty soon, it won't be Jesus who's Lord of your life. It'll be the circumstances that are Lord of your life. All right. All right. See, my problems are not Lord. They're not in, my circumstances are not in charge of me. I don't work for them. Right? Jesus is my Lord. And so sometimes, if you don't keep reminding yourself of this and letting the gospel in, here's what happens. You, you become a victim of your circumstance, and you start believing, I'm only doing good if it's going good. But listen, because of the gospel, we don't we can be doing good anyway, Amen. no matter what the circumstances are. And I don't mean just believing the gospel intellectually. I mean letting it in. And I know some of you are like, you with the gospel again. Listen. In the last few years, I I have a whole new depth of understanding of the gospel, and it has changed my life. And the reason I keep talking about it is because I want it for you guys too. So every morning when I get up, it doesn't matter if it's going good or not, I'm going to be doing good. I make that decision, and I just, what do you do? I pray the scriptures every morning. Usually before I get out of bed, sometimes I'm in the shower when I pray it, sometimes I'm driving down the road, sometimes I do it 10 times a day. But I've got a list of scriptures that I pray, and I personalize them. And I just pray them out. The Lord loves me with an everlasting love. The Lord rejoices over me with singing and dancing. Because I trust Jesus, I am holy and blameless in his sight. I'm the apple of God's eye. I'm precious in God's sight. The Lord delights in me. I am forgiven, perfected forever, and free from condemnation because of what Jesus did for me. Jesus will never leave me or forsake me. I'm his dear child. I call him Abba. And by the time you get through that, you're feeling pretty good, even if it ain't going good. And when we don't do that, what what happens? We we go by what our circumstances say instead of what the word says. But it don't have to be going good for me to be doing good. Because listen, you guys, there is a joy that comes from my salvation that is not subject to circumstances. Because the truth is, even if the stuff isn't going well, I'm already accepted. I'm already accepted by the, the opinion of the only one in the universe that matters. I'm already adopted into the family of God. I already call God Abba. So whatever happens, that's true. So there's a joy that comes from the salva- your salvation, from the gospel, that cannot be stopped by circumstances. Okay, I could go on and on about that. Let's go to the third one. What? We got the who. We got the how. Here's the what. What did they ask God for? Fascinatingly, they didn't ask for safety. Probably would have been first on my prayer list. I mean, remember, they were threatened by the same people who killed Jesus or were involved in the plot to kill Jesus. All right? So they didn't pray for safety. They didn't pray for comfort. They didn't pray for peace. They didn't pray that the Sadducees' threats would be revoked or prove harmless. Again, I probably would have prayed all of those things. And even when they did pray Psalm 2, they don't pray the violent parts of Psalm 2. I think this is very instructive for us because they didn't pray, and we don't have time to flip to Psalm 2 right now, but if you did, there's all kinds of stuff in Psalm 2 they didn't pray. So, for example, they did not ask that God would laugh at the leaders, which is Psalm 2-4. They didn't ask that God terrify them with his wrath. They didn't pray that. They didn't pray that God would break them with an iron rod, which is verse 9 of Psalm 2. They didn't pray that God would dash them into pieces as a potter's vessel, (coughs) verse 9 of Psalm 2 so that they perish, verse 12 of Psalm 2. I mean, all of those things are in Psalm 2. But they didn't pray those parts. And to be honest, I might have prayed those, especially dash them into pieces as a potter's vessel. Lord, smash them, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Crush them like a pottery. Like a sledgehammer, just get them. I might have prayed that way. They didn't pray like that. Listen. Listen. They interpreted their experience through the Jesus story and the scriptures. They also interpreted the scriptures through Jesus. Amen. Amen. So what did they ask for? They asked for two things, boldness and miracles. The very thing that got them in trouble in the first place. They asked for more what got them in trouble in the first place, Lord. Give us boldness to speak your word and stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do miracles. They prayed for the miraculous. And you know what, guys? I, I think, I, I don't know. I think we should pray for the same two things. You think, you think if we did that, we prayed for boldness? God, give me boldness to speak your word. And stretch forth your hand to heal and do miraculous signs and wonders. You think we might see more of what they saw if we prayed more like they prayed? I, I've been reading this book um, by Craig Keener on uh, Miracles Today, uh, and I've been telling you stories almost every week out of it. But just so you know, I do read other books. I'm gonna give you a story from a different book. And this one is from J.P. Moreland. Uh, J.P. Moreland is a philosopher from USC, and I started reading him as just because of his philosophy. He's a Christian philosopher, and I started reading him with that. But now he's writing stuff about miracles, and he just came out with a book a few months ago called A Simple Guide to Experience Miracles. And, and don't let the title throw you off because it sounds like one of those how-to books, but it's really much more profound than that. Um, and he tells the story of a guy named Hormoz um, Sheriat is his name, Hormoz Shariot. Excuse me. He was from Iran. He came to America in 1979 to do his Ph.D. at USC. When he's doing, like engineering or computer engineering or something like that. While he's there doing his Ph.D., he gets born again. He meets Jesus. He had been a Muslim. He becomes a Christian. Uh, he becomes a follower of Jesus. And he, instead of just doing you know engineering, he starts a ministry called Iran Alive Ministries where he would shoot uh, satellite television into Iran, and he had a call-in show that you could call in, and, and he would talk to you. And he led lots of Iranians to the Lord. And on one occasion, he gets a phone call, and it's from a lady named Dina. Or if you go online and Google it, uh, Padina's story, you can see there's a video of her story. She calls in. She's part of the uh, female secret police That they had in Iran at the time who who would just make sure that women went by, you know, the Islamic Sharia law, uh, that their head wasn't uncovered and whatever. She would turn people in and she really, really hated Christians. And she believed that Jesus was a joke. There's no Jesus did not exist, all this kind of stuff. So she calls in uh, uh, to Harmoz and his call in TV show uh, because she gets to a very dark place and she wants to die. Because she's been betrayed by her leadership um, and her mom is very sick. She had MS, but way down the road with MS, like she was crippled. She couldn't walk. She was stuck in a bed. And so uh, Dina decides, I'm going to kill myself on live television. And I'm going to kill my mom first because her mom was like, you got to kill me first if you're going to kill yourself. So she calls in and Harmoze on the the television, this is live television, He says, on there, he says, well, why don't you give Jesus a chance? And she said, Jesus don't even, you know, he doesn't even exist. That'd be wasting my time. He goes, well, you're going to kill yourself anyway. So what if you give Jesus one week? Just one week, just for one week. And you pray every day for one week to Jesus. That's what you got to do. And then you call back in then. And she goes, well, it's not going to work. And he goes, I knew you wouldn't do it. You're not bold enough to do that. You know, like I double dog dare you. I knew you wouldn't do it. Yeah, that's kind of what it was. She was like, Yeah, it's meaningless, but I'll do it. So she starts praying to Jesus every day. All right, she didn't even believe him. She gets to day five. On day five, she's walking down the hall of her house and she hears somebody walking behind her. She thinks it's the secret police. She turns around and when she does, it's her mom with a big smile on her face and she's walking. And she's like, What? You, you can't do that. No, oh, you can't, you know, and she just wants to get her back, and she was like, no. She said, let me tell you what happened. When you turned the lights off last night and said goodnight, I thought, tonight will be the night I'm going to die. So I went to pray with one of the, I went to pray to one of the imams, and when I thought, who should I pray to? How should I kind of pray through, you know, I prayed that, and then I saw his face. And Dina says, well, which one was it? And she says, it wasn't an imam. It was Jesus. And he was right there i saw his face and he smiled at me and i went right i got this peace and i went to sleep and i woke up this morning and i can walk so she, they you know in the video they, they they tell about going to the doctor and the doctor's going this is not possible and they're like well it is, it is. apparently it happened right. so she gets on the phone and she calls Hormoz again on his on his call in show He sees the number and the name come up on the screen, and he's going, oh, sweet Jesus. (laughs) You know, it's only day five. He said, seven days, you know. She calls, picks up the phone. She tells the story. She gets born again right there. Uh, At the writing of the publication of the book, which was whatever, last September, as of the publication of the book, uh, the mom is still healed. And the daughter, Dina, married a, a convert from, from Islam to Christianity, a man. And the two of them have planted many, like dozens of churches in Iran underground. Amen. God still does stuff like that. And doesn't that, that kind of sounds like the book of Acts. I mean, look at, look at Acts 4. This was their strategy to win the world. God, give us boldness and stretch forth your hand to heal. Remember, their lives are being threatened by the same people who were involved in the plot to kill Jesus. So this is quite literally a matter of life and death. Let me ask you a question. What's your plan for surviving the things that threaten your life? I mean, what's your plan? Are you just gonna try to be smarter or stronger or hope that your problems go away? (laughs) How about this strategy? How about this strategy? Lord, stretch forth your hand. I mean, part of what the disciples are saying here is, Lord, we have no hope but you. If you don't do something, we're dead, literally dead. We're desperate for you. So stretch forth your hand. You know, from time to time, I I get questions about our strategy here at New Life. You know, some like church growth person will send, you know, you know, what is your strategy at New Life for increasing giving units? I'm like, giving you mean people? And almost every single week, it's not every single week, but almost every single week, I'll get an email or a flyer in the mail about the latest, hottest, sexiest, new church growth strategy from high-tech worship to special lights to new songs to a capital campaign. You've got to have a youth group that does this, a nursery that does that. You've got to have parking that does this, an AV system that does that. You've got to have this strategy or that strategy. You've got to have the three times challenge. That's a big thing now where you, you, you invite all of your visitors to come back and commit to come back three times before you make a decision about us. You got to read this book. You got to read that book. And it's enough to choke a camel. (laughs) How about this strategy? How about this strategy? Lord, stretch forth your hand. What what if our strategy were to look to God and say, God, we have no hope with you. Without you, we got nothing. If you don't move, we don't exist. How about that? What if our strategy was to be just that dependent on God? Jim Cimbala wrote a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. At the end of the book, it says this. No new revelation or church growth technique will change the fact that spiritual power is always linked to communion with God. God, we need you to move. We're desperate for you to move. And guess what happened? Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And look, did you just notice that in that last verse that we've talked about this here before, that we want to be a church that's firmly rooted on the authority of scripture and alive to the work of the spirit today, both right? We, we want both of those and, and people constantly are trying to push us one way or the other you gotta only focus on the word, you gotta only focus on the spirit but on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, this is that which was spoken of and we want to be a church that can say this was that, not just a church that says this is this woo, we got this, we're, we're excited, we don't have any idea what the Bible says but we feel good or, or we don't also want to be a church that's just that was that, like we read the Bible like it was a history book and, and, and we wouldn't recognize the Holy Spirit if he walked in wearing a name tag We want to be, this is that, which was spoken of by the prophet. And look at that last verse. It says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they speak? The word of God. Word Word and spirit, same verse. Not at odds. And they got what they asked for. And the place they were meeting in was shaken. You know what? Sometimes when there have been times when I've been praying and I just feel the presence of the spirit of God and he's always here, right? But there are times when I feel it in a certain way and, and I feel physically, I, I feel different, you know? And, and there's some people who shake sometimes when they're praying and, 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 and here's the deal. I, I believe that's real because I felt it before, but you know what? I could fake that. I, I, could, I could start shaking right now and I could just make myself, I could do that. So I could fake it, but I couldn't fake shaking this building. What? You do have to be a big boy to shake that. You can shake yourself, but you can't shake this building. How about we have such an experience with God, an encounter with God himself that's so powerful, so authentic, so real, there's no question you didn't make it up. That's what I want. Don't you? They devoted themselves to prayer.